This is Green, a podcast where we believe our souls should be fed as much as we feed our stomachs. Each episode brings in a new guest who will share stories and perspectives from their own lived-out lives. Green aims to remind us of the commonality we have, living as human beings among other human beings on this earth. I am your host, DB, your typical Singaporean passionate about Singaporean food and culture. But like you, I'm just finding my own footing in this fast-paced city of ambition. A huge curiosity I've had for a while is in people who we may never encounter in our daily routine. These are stories that remain peripheral to us as we are caught up in our own separate lives. In this series, we will be interacting with several individuals on their experiences of living as a visually handicapped person in Singapore. Most of us have never had the chance to interact with a blind person. Because of this, we may be cautious or even unsure how to approach a blind person in public. We hope that this rain will feed your soul today. On this episode of Green, we have with us Sing En. Singen is currently studying in NUS, pursuing a degree in English Literature. She loves to read and write. She is also part of CAPT NUS, which has an active community engagement initiative that supports various causes such as animal welfare, elderly well-being, foster children and disability. Green. Hi Singen. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Green. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, so you know before we start, could we could you tell us a little bit about yourself and like and what you're most passionate about? Hmm, okay. I am a visually impaired person. I was diagnosed with this disease called retinitis pigmentosa when I was 3. I had low vision since young, but because it's a progressive disease, I lost my sight about six years ago. So now I'm completely blind. Uh, I also have kidney failure since 13 years old. That one is also congenital. So I had about 10 years of dialysis. Then I um, had to, I, I got a transplant kidney from a donor from the waiting list from a deceased donor so now i have a transplant kidney so i don't have to do dialysis anymore Um, what i'm passionate about i guess i'm passionate about education um working with young people especially young people who are um, also visually impaired or hearing impaired or facing um certain uh, um, challenges in life i guess that's everyone Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm interested in education in, in getting um, uh, I guess the new generation to to um, be more confident about what they they like and what they want to do in life yeah I see mm. it's really nice <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> you know could you tell us a bit about uh, the kind of blindness that you have and you know how it developed hmm so since young, I, I say I have low vision, right? But low vision has um, uh, many different kinds. So uh, I had night blindness. That means I cannot see in dim light. So um, from primary school, was it? The school lets me bring a table lamp to school to use. 
to make my um, work even like brighter so that I can do work. Um, I also had tunnel vision and tunnel vision is like um, a normal person can see like 100% of what is in front of them. I'll probably see a small hole. It's like looking through a hole inside a, a cardboard, a piece of cardboard. You just look through a very tiny hole. So that's my vision. The hole will slowly close up and then the light will slowly dim until blindness. I see. So when was it that the light really closed up all the way? Um, so until now, I don't think the light closed up uh, all the way or the tunnel closed up all the way yet. There's still mm. probably a pinpoint of light, um, mm. but it's not enough for me to see silhouettes or see... I can tell whether the room is... the light is switched on or switched off. Yeah, that's all. Mm. So how was childhood like for you, you know, growing up being blind? Did it affect certain parts of your childhood? Mm. I guess when before I go to kindergarten, it was normal for me because my family treated me as a normal child. So I mm. would play with my two elder brothers. Um, I would do. I mean, they they know that certain things I cannot see, certain things I cannot do. So they will not say. It. They will just quietly make sure I don't get hurt. But then in terms of like getting punished and getting scolded, um, mm. I'm treated the same as my brothers. Um, but. Because my mom only knew me, the only visually impaired child. She doesn't know other families with such a child. So she doesn't know how to uh, enroll me in a special school. She tried to get me into a mainstream kindergarten. At the start, she didn't let the school know that I was I was uh, visually impaired. So there were some problems because she was worried the school didn't accept me. Bah. So she she just admitted me into that, enrolled me into that school, that kindergarten, without telling them. So there were some problems with the teachers, because um, twenty years ago, I'm about I'm twenty six now, ma. So twenty years ago, um, the concept that you know blindness don't have to be total, it has it can be partial. That was not very widely known. So the teachers at, at kindergarten they were not very um, understanding that okay, I really have a, a visual condition. So they didn't know how to treat me. They thought that I was autistic. So they thought that I was oh, probably just short-sighted. Um, so there were problems like um, going to the toilet. Um, the toilet was too dim for me to go alone. So I will wet my pants. And then I'll go home with very wet pants. Uh, in school, I'll be scolded for like um, not paying attention or not following instructions. But it's because I couldn't see. So there was a, like a... A long process of trying to prove to them um, that I really have a very serious visual condition. So my mom had to go to the eye doctor and prove, come back with a proof, uh, with a letter. And she had to go to the autism doctor, come back with the proof that I don't have autism. And she had to talk to the principal. And then um, we, they, they had like this compromise where I I won't be allowed to go for field trips. And um, in, in class, I... I couldn't do certain activities. Um, some of the children, uh, they were they were very playful, so they will tease me. Um, even one or two of the teachers were not very nice. So there was this incident where I forgot to bring my specs, um, and then my my dad brought my specs to school to me. Uh, my dad seldom go to school because he has to work. But I think that day I, I forgot to bring my specs, so he had to rush to school with my specs. Um, and I think what was told to me, because I was very young then, so I didn't really remember that scene. I remember him bringing me the specs, but not the rest. So what happened was he um, was watching from the window and he everyone had to come 
um, to the front of the board because everyone was sitting at the chairs and tables at the back. And then the teacher gave the instruction, come to the front of the board and sit on the floor. So everyone started moving and I felt that I had to stand up. So I stood up and, and slowly moved towards that direction. And the teacher was like, oh, be careful. Um, don't stand on the blind girl or something like that. So like, my dad was very, very sad. He was he just quietly walked into the classroom and like, the teacher got a shock. So he just quietly passed me the specs and he went home and told my mom about it. So there were all these kind of little, little incidents. Yeah, It was not really like real bullying, bullying, but then it, um, it was some kind of discrimination. Lah. So would you say that your family was a pillar of support for you? Mm, definitely. I think my pe- family convinced me that I, it's just normal for me to be blind. You know, like some people are born tall, some people are born short. <laughs> Friends-wise, did you make any friends who actually you know, were understanding of your condition in your childhood? Mm, probably because of like a bit of a... Uh, slightly traumatic um, experiences in kindergarten. Um, since then, I... I didn't really uh, like interacting with people. I see. <laughs> so I love school because I love to read. Like reading was like my window to the outside world. So I enjoyed stories, but I didn't like talking to classmates or teachers. So that's that's why like, I stopped telling teachers I want to go to the toilet, right? So I just keep wetting my clothes. So um, I guess the first first friend I had was in primary three. She really, um, she really treated me as a normal person. And we'll talk about normal topics like Powerpuff Girls. We'll talk about like, oh, let's just plan a birthday together. It's, it's very girly, very normal child thing. And that was the first time I felt that, oh, okay, I actually had a friend. I was so excited. Yeah, so I guess she did really treat me like a, a normal normal classmate. I see. Yeah, very grateful for that. Mm. On this episode of Green, Singin shares with us her experience of interacting with people and also her love for literature. So I was just wondering like how do you choose you know the kind of clothes you want to wear for, you know, the day? Okay, so because since young I'm very close to my mom, so we'll go shopping together. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and uh, my mom will tell me, oh, this is a nice dress, that's a nice shot, and that will, you know, go well with that other shirt that you have. Mm. So we go shopping together, and my mom will tell me, oh, um, a very tight shirt, skirt should go with a broader like shirt, you know, it will look cute. So since young, like my mom would give me all these suggestions, what kind of colour should go with what kind of colour. Right. And sometimes she will help me choose my clothes. I think when I was younger, she would mostly choose my clothes. Lah. Or I would choose and then she will tell me, oh, mm, that looks very weird. Then I'll change again. Right. So it's a lot of practice, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. Like, you know, like I'm like my mom's doll. I think she didn't have a doll last time. So I was like a doll, so she dress me up yeah. <laughs> so it was really funny it was like we bond together through clothes it's really nice mm. I think I think me and my parents were the same thing they actually <laughs> dress me up they always blow my hair very big and then <laughs> they would bring me for like fashion shows oh yeah like you know, child fashion shows Okay, so like I didn't go for a child <laughs> fashion show. Oh, but my mom signed me up for the uh, kindergarten fancy dress contest. Oh, okay. Mm, I think because she knew that I wasn't talking in school. I so see. she wanted to build my confidence. That's so cool. she used recycling materials, the trash bag, and made mm. me into a, I think, a Korean princess or something. <laughs> and then she, she taught me a speech and I have to twirl my dress, turn around and then bow. So there was this like whole routine, but I didn't do it when it happened. So. I was like, 
um, I was very, I had stage fright, so I didn't do it. Yeah, like that was like she did this all these little little things, hoping that I will become more talkative. <laughs> but I think it didn't really work because <laughs> I was just like too scared. Mm. I see. But I mean, your confidence slowly built up along the years, lah. I I believe so, like, As I grow mm. up, as I realize that not everyone, like some some people are just they will treat me normally, and then I become more comfortable with people. Another question, super random also, <laughs> is do you still dream or like, you know, how do you dream now? What do you see in your uh, dreams? Because I had low vision when I was young. Mm. So I, I don't know how people who are born blind dream. But for me, my dreams would be just stay at the the kind of vision that, the best kind of vision that I ever had. So I mm. can still like look at things in my dream, I suppose. All right, now we're going to move into a section about uh, interactions that you've had in public. So, have you ever had any interactions in public that made you feel uncomfortable? Mm, so, um, in public, right? Mm. So, I start traveling by myself in set one. I traveled to secondary school, but that was just 10 minutes away from my house. Ah. And then when I really started going uh, long distances, it was for JC. So, I have to go to the MRT, take one stop, go to the bus, and then um, ask people to help me up the bus, get down the bus, go to school. Mm, so there was this incident where I was traveling on the MRT uh, because I do it every day or like very often. So I'm very familiar with the route. Um, I I was walking and then there was this elderly couple behind me. And I think th- they, they were Chinese. And then, um, so the uncle wanted to help me. And the auntie was like, So it means that I don't help the blind. The blind have very bad temper. So I was very sad when I heard that. But that was like, um, when I, um, that was very early on when I started traveling by myself. So I guess if it was me now, I would have turned around and, and very gently um, explained to the auntie that, no, I have a very good temper. If you want to help me, I can travel faster. If you don't want to, it's okay. So I'll probably do that now. But back then, I just continued walking. I was rushing. Like, and then I was also a bit intimidated by the like fierceness of the auntie. That was when I realized that, yeah, people have this, what do you call that, assumption that, Blind people, they either stay at home or those who come out independently, they want to prove that they can be independent and they will shout at you if you ask them to like let you help. But actually, the, the truth is that if you want to help me, I can walk a lot faster. I can save a lot of time. If I feel like I want to practice myself, I can very politely tell you that, oh, I'm practicing how to go to this place by myself. It's okay. But yeah, <laughs> that time I didn't do it. A bit regretful. Nowadays, it actually happens before where like, um, some other elderly will come up to me like you shouldn't come out alone it's very dangerous next time ask someone to come with you but then now I will have the patience and the courage to stop there and say oh actually oh, I, I have a trainer who trained me how to walk this route it's very safe but if you want to bring me along to like my next destination I can save a lot of time also like do you have time you know I would do that now but not then uh, so because I'm also a, a kidney failure patient. Ma. So for many years, I've been going to the hospital myself already. So recently, I went to the hospital and I had to travel from one place to another. And usually there were security guards rooming around. I would just ask one of them to help me there. It, it wasn't a very long distance. It wasn't very short, but it wasn't very long. Um, but because of the COVID situation, the guards were very busy. They spent a lot of time trying to find someone, but then they they eventually told me they are, they are lacking staff. 
So they asked me to, if I could just try to make my way there and ask along the way. Then the, the guard said something very funny. He said, he said okay, you, you, you okay? Ah? I see you many times already. I point to you where to go. Ah? I go there, then you turn right. So <laughs> I was like, uh, you already know I'm blind. You saw me so many times. So you're trying to point to me. And there were like people all around him. So I guess he was just really too busy. And right, yeah, right, it was right, very right. crowded. Mm, eventually, I managed to make my way there. Like he said, like, um, I, I ask people after every like two minutes, three minutes. So people will point me to the right direction. But that took a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes nowadays it's still kind of like when I think I was talking to Quite Ben also that I think I accidentally pointed at something. I was like, oh maybe like to your right or something. Yeah. Re- reflexive, yeah. Reflexively, like, mm, and it's okay, like I'm not super angry about it. Yeah, it's, I know that nowadays people are like, stressed out, and, and the COVID situation is really like, yeah, making everyone very feel very pressured. Right. <laughs> also, sometimes maybe it's not that they are insensitive. Maybe they do not even know mm-hmm. that. Or maybe they're also not used to interacting yeah. with me mm. because sometimes people are scared to approach me because I'm I can understand like very short sentences on Malay. So sometimes I'll hear people behind me. Tanam pa eh, tanam pa eh. And I'm like, ah, can you come out and ask me if I need help any <laughs> like any help already? But then they don't they don't dare to come and talk to me. They don't know how to start talking right, to yeah. me. I think there's that fear that they will offend me, but it's actually just okay to ask me if I need help. Yeah, and, and I guess people are also very scared of being refused. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just like both ways, right? You're scared, then she's scared, mm, then in the end, yeah. nobody helps anybody. <laughs> you know, yeah. right? They'll just like loiter. Right, right. Yeah, but it's actually okay just to ask. So I read a paper recently by Dr. Silverman on blindness, and he said that educational exercises about blindness will have a much more positive impact if they incorporate contact with blind people who themselves intimately understand the complexities of blindness. And that you know, personal contact can go a long way toward the reduction of prejudiced attitudes. So, would you say that you know, like people who have got to know you better, maybe your friends, for example, are a bit more understanding when of you of being how you want to be treated and everything? And how do you think you know people can go about like you know being more understanding? I guess. Yeah, definitely. If you know someone who is visually impaired, you spend some time with them, you'll realize that just treat us normally <laughs> as you would treat any other person. And I guess when you know us better, you, you don't have the fear of like, uh, raising certain questions. Because if you are afraid, you don't ask and then you, you make some mistake. Um, like um, it's, it's, it's just... Yeah, I guess with, with experience, you are, if it, it comes naturally after, after some time, you observe and, and then we talk and we discuss uh, questions about, oh, do I hold you or do you hold me? And um, should I describe your food to you or should I not? Like, right. You know, just casually ask. It's, it's very natural. Or it's, just ma- it's just making mm. friends. But, mm. Right, yeah. In a sense, also, you said you understand and you're not really offended mm, sometimes, yeah. right? If people do make I mistakes. I know, I, I love to explain to people, like, um, what's, how it is, like. This is Green, a podcast where we believe our souls should be fed as much as we feed our stomachs. Today, we have with us Sing Eun, who is currently a student at NUS, majoring in English Literature. We hope that this grain will feed your soul today.
Alright, so now we're going to be talking a little bit about your life as a university student. Mm. So you said you were studying at NUS, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, English, li- English literature. Mm-hmm. And you stay on campus. I stay on campus. Yes, in this hall called uh, CAP, right? Mm, College of Ellis and Peter Tan. So it's one of the five resident colleges in NUS. Um, one of the four in Utown, because four of them are in Utown, university town in NUS. I'll just introduce Cap. Yeah, sure you can. <laughs> it's like outreach, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, every resident college RC has a has a theme has that sort of a central value system. So for College of Ellis and Peter Time, Cap was short because we call it like CAPT Cap. Right. Um. So ours is community engagement. It's active community active community engagement so it means um, meeting people from all walks of life sometimes people whom you normally don't talk to like migrant workers um, domestic helpers elderly foster youth we just make friends and we learn and grow with them through conversations through engagement Mm, we don't have to like it's not compulsory that we help them and then they receive help sometimes just by being our friends, they actually help us grow as persons, as like become better people. Um, so it's a, it's more like a very tight community. It's a small college. So um, I think we have 7,000 students. Wow, it's mm. a lot. That's <laughs> a lot. La. But then if you divide them into the five houses, then then everyone know each other quite well. Yeah, let me think. Uh, 150 times five is a... Uh, Okay, sorry, it's not it's not seven thousand, it's seven hundred. Seven thousand. <laughs> sorry, art student. Art student, art student. Seven hundred plus, yeah. So like yeah, we are a very tight community and uh and we have seven RFs, our resident prof uh, resident fellows. So they are professors who also teach us and they also stay with us and they're very involved with us. So um we just stay here for two two years, three years or four years, depending on whether we want to stay on. We don't do like um the point system like in halls. It's mostly really interaction and getting to know one another. Um, it's so it's good that we spend a lot of time eating together, talking together, um, doing activities, uh, organizing activities and events. And of course, with the COVID situation, everyone is like stuck indoors in their room now, but we'll have meals on Zoom. So like open a Zoom session and we just eat in front of our own table and then like look at each other. <laughs> so it's like, it's just a very oh, warm man. environment for us to grow in. Yeah. Mm. So right. you're not even you're not even allowed to eat like in the meeting rooms now, is it? We are not allowed to eat in the dining halls now, but there's Zoom, so <laughs> we can just so funny. do it just Zoom. But we'll go out to tap our food together. Right. Okay. So the activities and events we normally plan um with uh, are with our partners, so they can be like, yeah, like Saint Luke's home for the elderly. Um, Westlight Migrant Dormitory. Uh, we have a, a lot of others. So I'm in this committee called Cap in the Dark and CITD for short. So um, our goal is to promote awareness, um, advocacy for the visually impaired community in Singapore. Um, we also work with like organizations like the Singapore Association of the Visually Handicapped. So last semester, my committee and I, we what we did was we planned this thing called Daily Living Skills Workshop for the visually impaired students in Ahmad Ibrahim Secondary School. So it's a mainstream school, lah, but then they also have a few visually impaired students integrated into the school population. So what we did was we taught them how to cook, 
So uh, it's, a, it's a skill that I think can be very useful because they just need to know how to cook some simple meals. And even after this workshop, even if they forgot about it, but you know, one day they will um, become adults and they will look back and they will say, oh, okay, I, I know how to cook last time. So actually it's not so difficult. I can actually learn it and I can cook simple meals for myself. So which is what I'm doing in CAP. I cook my own lunch la, when I'm not too... When I'm not too tired. So, but then my cooking skills are not very good. So, there was once when in my year one, I was cooking porridge. And um, yeah, I think I put too little water. So, it became wet rice. It was so demoralized after that. I had to throw away the whole thing. Then I called my mom. I'm like, oh, my, my porridge was not successful. Because I was tired of eating rice. And I wanted to try something different. But the porridge came out bad. And um, my mom was very chill. She was like, it's okay, try again next time. Okay. <laughs> and there was another time I was making hot, hot, hot Milo in the middle of the night because I was um, doing work. And then the Milo just, over, just spilled all over the table. My papers were like, you know, Milo. I w it went down to the, the cupboard all the way to the floor. So the, the rest of the night, I couldn't do anything. I was cleaning. These, these are like experiences I had in CAP. And I thought, okay, like, it's, it's quite hard to learn. But then when I got a hang on it, it's really, there's a sense of satisfaction that hey, actually I can do this. I don't have to depend on people for like very simple tasks like making Milo or like cooking a very simple meal. Alright, so now I'll be talking more about your university education. So you mentioned you are a literature student. Do you want to talk us a bit through that? What kind of literature do you do? Is it poems or prose, you know? Okay, so for the English literature major, right, we, we do all genres, prose, poems, um, we do short stories, plays, movies, and I think recently they've started to inc um, inculcate uh, cartoons, comics into mm, the literature syllable. So it's a very wide-ranging genre. It depends which modules you choose. For example, if you choose the Shakespeare module, of course, everything you do will be Shakespeare. And then I, I think um, I probably finish most of the modules because I'm year four already. So there are very interesting modules around um, 20th century uh, modules. Um, we have we did a module called uh, Backgrounds to Western Literature and Culture, something like that. And we studied the Bible from a literature point of view. So that was very, very interesting. Mm, and yeah, and we talk about varied kinds of themes. It's not like A-levels, you know, we talk about the uh, normal. I mean, we also talk about the normal themes like gender and politics and all that but we also talk about human agency what it means to be a man what it means to feel what it means to think so it's all very, very yeah it's very philosophical but it also makes you think very deeply about yourself and the, the people uh, the society around you and um, sometimes it's very eye-opening it's very liberating so yeah it's something that I really enjoy hmm. Since young, since I cannot see, right, story, storybooks are my window to the outside world. So I enjoy listening to stories, listening to audiobooks, reading them myself, and I'll make up voices for it. So um, it's something I really enjoy. In fact, when I lost my sight, like one of the saddest things was that I couldn't read to myself using different voices. But yeah, like storytelling and reading stories, listening to stories is what I really enjoy. And being able to do it in school, that's, um, yeah, that's a blessing. Is there a favorite, you know, book or literature that you really like? Mm, I guess it keeps changing. 
uh, right now I I read a lot of Jim Butcher. Like when I'm not, you know, not during semester time, during holidays. Yeah, Jim Butcher is a is a contemporary fantasy writer. He's an American, but the the themes he talk about are like you know how do you deal with the different darkness and lightness in in yourself, and how do you navigate that? You know, everyone wants to be a good person, but how how easy is that? How high is that? Mm. <laughs> Alright, so now I was just wondering if you could share with us like some of the works you have done, or maybe just one, uh, maybe like a poem or a prose or something that you've written. In that case, oh, yeah, I'll recite a poem. Twice, away says freedom, to where say I. The oblivion say freedom, where the beginning and end meets. Where understanding is grasped and shakes hands with you, and fullness of mind is obtained, where richness of sound is tasted, and completion of soul may ensue. No, come back now, come back now, says reason. You cannot roam forever. You simply lose yourself. Your head be cleared for cleansing. Your rule you are not to sell. Your mind may now be bedlam. My hand will hold your dark. Come back now, come back now. Away from trends itself, how sweet I could have tasted the teeming place of dream, but cast on earth I have been. Therefore, misrule is not a choice for me. Still, my devil attempts to break out of me, clawing at the walls of my flesh, gnawing at the corporeal bars that held it within. A piece it. A piece it. One day you will have your chance. Wow, you know, thanks for sharing with us this poem you've written. I really can see that you know it's something that you really meant at that time. If uh, you say you wrote it in JC, right, in a sense, and it was like a like I don't know an angsty kind of time, right? Is it? Yeah, it's really interesting how like from. A hobby, and now it becomes something that you kind of study, and it's something I guess you kind of aspire towards becoming. So with that, you know, I'm just wondering, like, is there a current like goal you have in life right now? Hmm, I guess my current goals are always changing. <laughs> That's for like you know the average person. We always not very sure what the end is. Um, I used to want to be a writer, and then it changed into oh, I want to teach literature. And then now it kind of broadens because I realize literature is probably just one medium where you can um communicate your ideas through. So I guess now my broad broad goal, if I have one, is probably just to inspire young people, whether it's through literature or music or, or teaching or just spending time with them. You know, to to know that to to. Um, have the courage to see that the world is not black and white. It's very grey. To have the courage to see that oh, it's not so simple. It's very complex. But at the same time, you know, not to be afraid of it. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And you know, you will be. You said you'll be graduating uni in around one year, right? Mm, like yeah, I'll be graduating in year five. So I'm year four now, but I'm taking a slower route. So I'm taking four modules instead of five modules per sem. NUS um, students with disabilities, we have that option to write to the doctor for that. Yeah. So just wondering, you know, is there a you know a fear or like you know being afraid of like the prospects of finding a job in the future? 
for yourself? Mm, mm, definitely, because I'm interested in teaching. Mm. So nowadays, teachers, they don't just do teaching. In fact, they do more admin than teaching. That's what I gather from, from teachers I know. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm worried I'm not as versatile as a sighted person. But I guess I will worry about that when my time comes. Because now I'm in uni, I have all these opportunities to learn and grow. So let me just focus on that first. Bah. I think also even in uni, you can pick up so many different skills that's not just literature also. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you never know maybe you'll be doing something related to CAP in the future oh yeah I actually would love to come back you know as an alumni kind of capacity yeah, but uh, yeah it's true that in uni you, you can pick up other skills like, like now I'm learning Malay so I'm taking modules and you know I hope that anyone in like social service or education they can know at least you know more than one language I mean, I can speak Chinese, English, so I hope if I can speak Malay, then slowly I can pick it up, I can communicate better. Mm, some people, they are better at um, expressing themselves, they feel more comfortable in their mother tongue, and that, that really helps to facilitate um, a lot of like uh, communication, mm, if you can speak in their mother tongue. I mean, you always seem very passionate about like, you know, really helping people, or even like, you know, creating more accessible like solutions, or being, being there for them, I guess. Mm, it, it's something that everyone feels mm, they want to do. Like. It's just that people have different interests, so you do what you can in your interest. Yeah. I guess everybody has their own capacity of how they can mm-hmm. help also. La. Yes, yes. So to end off, uh, just got one last question for you. Mm-hmm. So you know, what kind of steps do you feel the public right could take in their own personal lives to foster an inclusive environment for the blind or disabled? Okay, I think whatever strategy or steps, right, it's not as important as really keeping an open mind and not be afraid to approach anyone who has a disability or like um, anyone whom you are not um, familiar with. Like a migrant worker, like you can just approach the person and, hey, how, where are you from? You know, like what's your name? How are you adapting well here? So all, the, all these are like, Really, with experience, you will slowly pick things up. You don't have to, oh, step one, you have to do what? Step two, you have to do what? But of course, if you know that, oh, how do I guide a visually impaired person? I let the person hold my elbow. Now, that, that can be very useful. But that's not the most important thing, really. It's to not be afraid to ask questions politely. I mean, you don't go up to a person and ask, are hey, you really blind? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I mean, like, you don't do that. I'm sure most people don't do that. But you can ask, oh, um, do you need help? How is the best way I can help you? you um do you prefer to take lifts do you like do you want to go to the other side of the road or do you normally take buses or mrt you can ask all this you know like whenever i'm on the mrt if someone's helping me transfer from red line to purple line like they will talk to me and then that's the opportunity that i get to to explain to them like any questions that they have and being willing to make friends back This episode of Green would not have been possible without support from Quackbin and Candice. You can find more podcasts on our website www.green.community or on Spotify and other mainstream podcasting platforms. Do follow us on Instagram and Facebook at green.community for new updates on podcasts and also little nuggets of soul food. I'm your host DB. And I hope that this screen will feed your soul today.
Green. <laughs>